birthday? You want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. I'm disgusted and repulsed and... And I can't look away. I need these things! I need these things! This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Stop Welcome one and all to another edition of Watch Skip Plus, the movie review podcast with a lifestyle twist. Every week, my podcast partner in crime and I will review a brand new film, whether that be streaming, theatrical, or sometimes both, and we will let you know if we feel you should watch or skip it. The plus comes from a, a lifestyle event uh, from us. It can be anything, another movie we watch, television show... Uh, a, a news story, an event we went to, elation over getting our taxes done. It can be anything you want it to be. It's it's our little plus to all of you. I am the Cinemascus, Justin the Red, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely podcasting partner, Cupcake. Jose, how are you doing? Uh, I'm a little a little under the weather, so I have I have smelly cat voice. Although I don't even know why I'm bringing that up because I never watched Friends. I only know <laughs> smelly cat from. I guess the memes and everything that w- that went around. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you can't you can't escape the memes. So that you makes can't sense. Escape the memes. And, and the very no, nice no, no, no. thing is, it doesn't come through too bad. The voice, like I can kind of tell just looking at you, that you you look well. I was gonna say look a little tired, but that's a little unfair to pull back the curtain. We are both looking <laughs> tired as we are recording much earlier than we <laughs> normally do because I will also be away for a bit. But I am thankful, at least, that it's nothing too severe that you could still do this recording. Uh, I yes. don't want people thinking I'm cracking a whip and forcing him to to record. How dare you have a voice like that? We've got a guess. We, Slavery. <laughs> we, we, we must record because it is Magic Mike's last dance. We can't disappoint him because that <laughs> is the film that we are covering, The Last Dance. But I promise you it is not our last dance. Uh, before we get there, though, like I said, we do have a couple of pluses. So, Jose, what plus yes. do you have besides having smelly cat voice? <laughs> so, this is kind of this is a, a weird out-of-the-box sort of thing, but... Um, I've been trying to get Scooter and I into taking more active steps to save the world other than just being, other than just recycling, right? So um, one of the things we also did was instead of buying bottled water, we now have a filter and we've got like a big glass jug. So it's nice and cold and, you know, whenever we drink from there, which is great. So we're trying to reduce our plastic. And then I thought I'd turn my eye towards paper towels, toilet paper, as well as tissues. And although I tried a bunch of different brands, some of them with varying effects, such as uh, uh, toilet paper that wasn't any better than the crap that's at the mall, that's essentially like, you know, your finger can go right through it if you breathe on it. Yeah, that kind of disgusting stuff. To even like 
harder recycled toilet paper that just felt like sandpaper. It was awful. Um, so uh, if anybody wants to know what the other brands are that tried that I tried, I can certainly let you guys know. But the one that I settled on and I've been using for quite some time now is something called the Cheeky Panda. And they essentially are based in the UK as well as in the US. And they make toilet paper, paper towels, and tissue boxes um, that all of the packaging is 100% recyclable. There's no plastic whatsoever in any of the products. And they use bamboo, which helps to basically stop deforestation. Um, so they are a B Corp certified corporation, which is a business that helps to, you know, celebrate positive economic, social, and environmental practices. Again, they're using less practice. The bamboo um, is actually taken from um, Southeast China. So they're not destroying forests by, by getting that. It's also not the bamboo that pandas eat. So don't think just because it's called the cheeky panda that, you know, they're, they're stealing pandas, you know, uh, food basically, but it does help to save the trees. Bamboo grows 30 times faster, produces 30% more oxygen and absorbs 35% more carbon. So obviously trees are part of the cycle that helps us create oxygen, et cetera, et cetera. But bamboo is pretty powerful in its own right. But even as a source of the toilet paper, the pulp that they make it out of, it's actually naturally hypoallergenic. There are long, smooth fibers that trap fewer dust particles, so it's perfect for sensitive skin. And unlike traditional paper production, the bamboo doesn't need fertilizers, pesticides, or any other chemical nasties to make. Um, and so, again, they're they're sourcing their bamboo from southeast from southeast China. There are local pulping factories, and they've got this amazing supply chain that sends it all through. Everything carbon balanced. I mean, it's it's pretty fantastic. And since they started as a company in 2017, um, you can see the stats on their websites: 400,449 trees saved. 501,139 kilograms of plastic saved, and then 32,529 tons of carbon-balanced product since 2017. Um, it's So I'm, I'm just going to say that it's actually, the toilet paper is three-ply, so it's pretty strong. It is not soft like a, like a downy or what have you, so don't expect that, but it does its duty for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> I like it. And um, you know, now that I'm on probiotics, I'm wiping less too. So, you know, hey, it's it's all great. Anyway, the cheeky panda, you can get it on Amazon or you can simply go to us.cheekypanda.com. Tell them cupcake sent you. I love this stuff. Ooh, maybe we can get them <laughs> as a sponsor. I am glad you answered the texture of it because my question was gonna be, I am an angel soft boy, just because it's uh -huh. the, the <laughs> The stuff that is the most kind. Uh, I thought I would have seen this before, but there's a generic brand that's sold around here just called Panda. Uh, mm. But now I'm looking at this cheeky Panda. I might be I might be interested in this. I mean, it's, um, I might have to get used to maybe a little bit rougher of a wipe. But I mean, that's not the worst thing. As long as it's not, <laughs> as long as it's not like you said, where it's what I used to have in college, or if you go to certain stores, or I used to work at a place where it's yeah, you touch it and it just crumbles and i'm like what's the yes yeah. like that is uh, awful yeah. i hate that and then the the converse of that is like scott is like you he likes the 
really fluffy, soft tissues or whatever. But, uh, you know, I've used some brands where, you know, not to get too graphic, but it leaves like a, like a fuzz behind <laughs> back there, which uh, I'm like, no, 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 I, I can't, I can't deal with that. So it makes it look like you were, uh, never mind. I was gonna say yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and by the way, I, so I settled on bamboo because I had tried everything. I tried toilet paper from recycled paper, like office paper, scary. Um, mm. other brands with bamboo, I have tried green tea that actually was not bad. Um, is it like recycled started, from green tea or is this like a bidet, but instead of water, it's shooting green <laughs> tea up your ass? I, so apparently it's like a, it's like a pulp from green tea. Okay. But the more I kind of looked into the company, I couldn't find a lot of information. So I was like, okay, green tea, my ass, maybe it's a scam. I don't know. So uh, anyway, I found the cheeky panda and I've, that's all I've been using ever since the tissues, the paper towels and the. And the toilet paper. All right. Well, that's that's interesting. I will definitely look them up because uh, they. I mean, I could always use something new, and I like helping out the earth. So, yes. <laughs> always well, a good thing. My plus. Uh, well, to some people, maybe shit, but it is not literal <laughs> shit cleaning. <laughs> uh, it's going to tie into what we reviewed last week, which was Skinamarink. Uh, in our group chat that Jose and I have with the Death by DVD boys. We had mentioned on the show that, hey, you know, you're going to see a lot of these replicants of, of Skinamarink coming out. And one got mm. announced, A24, who is usually reliable, is producing an adaptation of The Backrooms, which is a viral sensation that I am familiar with. It is this very odd uh, analog style horror film. And the idea is that you are stuck in these like endless back rooms that are meant to kind of look like offices, you know, deserted offices. And I had mentioned to in the chat that I'm actually familiar with this and do kind of find the back rooms to be a bit creepy. Uh, now, the reason that I'm bringing this up isn't so much just to say, hey, you know, this 17-year-old kid is getting to direct a movie is because in that chat, Jose, you had mentioned you, you're taking a quick look and it's like, ah, it just reminds me of Stinky Dink and uh, I'm yeah. not feeling it. And I said, well, you know, for me, the only reason it kind of creeped me out was because I had like a creepy paste to go with it or a creepypasta, one of those stories of like, oh, you're trapped. And then it slowly goes into this and it kind of hit me. I'm like, well, in order for this to work, or at least for me, I think maybe if we do the screen life option. Uh, you and I had praised it along with you of contentment on missing. And I don't know why I didn't think about this when we were discussing Skinamarink. Well, that gives you the opportunity to still see some of the, the analog horror, but it doesn't stick with that for a full 90 minutes or so. Uh, it gives you options to kind of get in and out. And it gives at least me more of a human connection of feeling like I'm the user discovering it. I'm not saying this would completely make it work, but if I had to do one of these types of films, that's probably the way I'd go about it. Or, I mean, maybe I just wouldn't do the full analog style uh, because I, I do have my doubts with the backrooms working as a full film since Skinamarink didn't. Uh, the only other thing I could think of was, since I mentioned creepypastas, uh, the one based on Candle Cove they made into, I think it was Channel Zero on Sci-Fi. And I was like, mm. well, that's a really creepy story. But again, you had to read it. And I'm like, oh, they were clever. They made it about like, 
people just like you would on the, the creepypasta coming together. Hey, I remember this story. And it was more a horror drama with clips from the show as opposed to just being the show. So mm. maybe that's the way you can do it. Uh, I still have severe doubts about this working because I, especially after uh, stinky dink skid marks, I, uh, I'm very skeptical of any, any of these types of analog films, but I'm at least familiar enough with the back rooms. And I thought, well, maybe that's the way to do it. Screen life it. You know, it's interesting. I, I remember, I, well, I remember um, a director l- saying that he had basically learned how to do visual effects from YouTube. And um, I, I wish I remembered who it was who said this because the effects were not bad. They were actually pretty damn good. And it's kind of like, Jesus, you can learn all this stuff on YouTube. And I think this kid is essentially learning some of this trade. He he fashions himself as a, a VFX artist. Um, and I think he's learning some of this. And I mean, I have to say some of it does look good, but the one that I clicked on, I can't even remember which video I clicked on, but it just, it felt like skin and meringue. And I was like, what am I watching? Um, so the gentleman, uh, Backrooms, if you want to check it out, the gentleman is named, uh, I don't know if it's full his full name, but it's Kane, Kane, K-A-N-E Pixels. And so that's YouTube backslash the at symbol K-A-N-E-P-I-X-E-L-S. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that as a stage name, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Probably. But yes, it was It was in fact announced that they they are going to turn this into a film and they want this 17-year-old to direct it, which uh, I, I don't know. Are they going to assign him a mentor? Is he going to work with... Uh, a director so that when he finally shows up on set, the actors aren't like sitting around being like, what are we doing? And if they ask, you know, Hey, what's the rehearsal? What's the blocking? Like, what's the camera going to be? Is he going to know those things? Is he going to know about marks and cheating and doing things in post? And I don't know. I'm asking way too many questions. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know what? I'm sure Kevin Smith didn't know any of this when he started making clerks. Granted, he did that with most of his buddies, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm sure he'll, he'll be all right. I mean, it's going to be a much, I mean, he would probably know some of like the, the technical questions because he's already fancied himself. And if he's been teaching himself all of this stuff through YouTube and that, I'm sure he can give himself a crash course. Uh, best of luck to him. Again, I, I just have my doubts of, I mean, one, you're taking something that works in small increments and has extra added supplements, you can say, to, to make it work. It's not just the videos, in my opinion, that are creepy. Uh, so we'll see. Good on him. Uh, you know, always nice. Let's, let's see if this uh, is something that can transition him into this career. or Maybe this is going to be something that he'll become a tax accountant someday. And, you know, he'll just look <laughs> back on that movie he got to do one time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want my taxes done by Kane Pixels. Prefer that over uh, Kane the Wrestler. Though I guess maybe IRS the Wrestler would have. Never <laughs> mind. Uh, I could be down this, <laughs> this rabbit wah, hole a lot. Uh, I, I can't say we won't cover it, but I will say there's a good chance we probably won't cover it proper on this show unless it gets a lot of buzz and maybe uh i don't i don't want us being forced into watching all of these for the show i will check this one out because of curiosity but i'm not going to check all these out like uh, yeah. i guarantee you unless unless one gets good reviews from somebody like a troy who somehow watched it and hated skin and marine because if i just hear good positive reviews from people like skin and marine that's great but i didn't so <laughs> that's not really yeah. doing me many favors so but i, I am curious at least about this one 
All right. I guess that brings us to Magic Mike's Last Dance, the third and apparently final. Yeah, that ever works in movies. Uh, installment <laughs> in the Magic Mike franchise. Uh, before I get to some of the people in front of the camera, Jose, why don't you tell us some people behind the camera? Because a, uh, a director is returning to this franchise. Yes, a director indeed is. Uh, and not only the not the only one returning to this franchise. So our writer for this film is a gentleman named Reed Carolyn. Um, he is a producer and a writer by trade. And oddly, nearly every EP producer or writer credit he's ever had is on a surprise Channing Tatum film. <laughs> so he has served as either an EP or a producer on films like Stop Loss, Magic Mike, White House Down, War Dog, which is a documentary arguably based on the film Dog, also starring Channing Tatum, 22 Jump Street, Magic Mike XXL, Logan Lucky, America the Motion Picture, which apparently that's an animated film on Netflix, which I never saw. Hmm. Um, I think it's uh, from the makers of Archer, so obviously very tongue-in-cheek. The reality show Finding Magic Mike, and then, of course, producing and writing this film, Magic Mike's Last Dance. Carolyn also wrote Earth Made of Glass. That is a documentary about the 1994 Rwandan genocide incident, but also wrote Magic Mike, the sequel, Dog, which he also directed and also stars Channing Tatum, which I believe you picked up for $2 or something. Yep. Um, Still haven't cracked it open, but I just can't turn up a sealed $2 Blu-ray. Can't. Um, And then, of course, this film. I looked over the list of producers. In addition to Carolyn being a producer, um, two other interesting producers are Nick Weschler. Um, He actually has one writing credit um, on his IMDb. He wrote a film called Made in the USA, which stars um, Christopher Penn, Adrian Pazdar, and Laurie Singer. And it's a movie that I always saw on HBO late that I absolutely fell in love with. It reminds me a lot of Penelope Spheris' The Boys Next Door, which starred um, Maxwell Caulfield and um, Charlie Sheen. And they make a great double feature. I think Made in the USA was made um, in 1984. You may be able to find the entire film on YouTube, I think, but there are no media releases of it. But I I love that movie. You guys need to check it out. It's very short, but it's very awesome. Nick Weschler, he wrote that. But he also is a former entertainment attorney who then turned to music management and then film production, founded the company Industry Entertainment, which for four, 15 years, well, actually, he was there for 15 years before starting a new company. He produced films and represented actors and writers such as Leonardo DiCaprio, Angelina Jolie, Al Pacino, Tobey Maguire, and others. He is a producer on a lot of indie films, things like Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Drugstore Cowboy, The Rapture, The Player, Trees Lounge, Requiem for a Dream, the recent The Road with Viggo Mortensen, American Assassin, and then the latest prime original, All the Old Knives. So very prolific producer. I believe he started his own company as well and is still producing films. Gregory Jacobs is another producer. And like Carolyn, he's been working with Soderbergh either in a producing capacity or um, an assistant director or second unit capacity. So 
Uh, Jacobs, as an assistant director, has worked on films like Miller's Crossing, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and then the Soderbergh films, King of the Hill, The Underneath, Aaron Brockovich, Out of Sight, The Limey, The Ocean's Eleven and Twelve films, Solaris, Contagion, Haywire, The Nick, Behind the Candelabra, Let Them Talk. So he's also produced most of those films. And out of the Soderberghs that I just listed, the other ones are Side Effects, Logan Lucky. He's also produced Edge of Tomorrow, Dog, and then the shows Red Oaks, Now Apocalypse, and The Nick, which Soderbergh has also executive produced. Um, two more shout outs, and then we are going to get to the man, the myth, the legend, Steven Soderbergh. Choreographer here, his name is, wait for it, folks, Luke Broadlick. <laughs> oh, what a what B R O A D L I C K. And like all of the featured dancers in this, Broadlick is associated with either the Magic Mike movies, the reality show Finding Magic Mike, or the Magic Mike live experience in both Vegas and London. Interestingly enough, he was also the quote unquote martial arts choreographer for Britney Spears's Femme Fatale tour. Interesting resume. Um, the other shout out I want to give is there is a dancer featured here. He's not the one with like all of the tattoos, but he does have a tattoo on his chest and some on his arm. The gentleman's name is Ryan Michael Carlson. And through the entire movie, I was like, I have seen this person before. And sure enough, I saw him in the first national tour. And I think the only national tour for Flashdance, the musical. And sure enough, he was uh, he he was live when I went to see it. He stood out from all the dancers. I, I'm telling you, I was like, "Who the hell is that guy?" I looked him up. He had doesn't have many other choreography credits or dancing credits, but apparently he auditioned for and got the Mike role in Magic Mike Live, which I think was the subject matter of Finding Magic Mike, the reality show. And he has been doing the Vegas show since. And incidentally, there is a story if you want to call it a story behind the magic mike live show so unlike the movie it follows a character named mike who is a waiter who works at this fancy restaurant and he starts dating this girl and he asks the other dudes that he works with like how to become a better lover and then that starts all the bumping and the grinding and the you know cue genuine pony the song for everybody to dance to um and that brings us to steven soderbergh one of my absolute favorite directors i think next to like john carpenter brandon cronen uh, not brandon cronenberg david cronenberg although brandon is he's working he's up, up there, there for you um but those th three directors are directors that i find myself watching their movies over and over and over again um and even some of them as comfort films but soderbergh uh born in atlanta georgia uh he is incredibly gorgeous um he's irish swedish and italian his first major break was actually doing a full-length feature concert film for the band Yes, um, which actually earned him a Grammy nomination. So that was for Yes, 9012 Live back in 85. He followed that with a short and then shot to fame. And arguably, I would say Soderbergh is the father of independent cinema because in 1989, he expanded a short that he had filmed two years earlier into the film Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Um, starring James Spader and Andy McDowell, Peter Gallagher, and um, Laura San Giacomo, who, by the way, voices the Haywire character 
not Gina Carano. They actually overdubbed her voice with Laura San Giacomo's voice, um, if y'all didn't know that. But Sex, Lies, and Videotape earned him the Cannes Film Festival's Palme d'Or. He was the youngest ever to get that at 26 years old. He also got the Independent Spirit Award for Best Director and an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay for that film. He would follow it up with other sort of artsy efforts like Kafka, starring Jeremy Irons, King of the Hill, The Underneath, again with Peter Gallagher, Grey's Anatomy, starring uh, Spalding Gray. Those were believed to be disappointments, and it wasn't until 98 when he did Out of Sight with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez that he, again, shot to fame with probably that that film being his most critically and commercial successful film since Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Um, and then obviously in 2000, he did it again, came to the forefront by directing Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, both of those films for the first time in 60 years got him twin director Oscar nominations for both of those films. He would end up winning Best Director for Traffic. And I believe Julia Roberts, uh, I believe, won the Oscar for Aaron Brockovich. I think she did. And I'm then almost positive she did. I'm not. And then Benicio Del Toro, I believe, won for Traffic as well. So um, curious thing about Soderbergh is he is a filmmaker through and through. And if you don't already know know this, because we're going to get to the cinematographer of this film, the cinematographer of this film is a gentleman named Peter Andrews. Peter Andrews is Soderbergh's pseudonym. It is the first two names of his father. And so in the past, he unfortunately has run into Writers Guild issues and union issues with um, credits for his cinematography. So he simply goes by Peter Andrews when he is the cinematographer. He is, in fact, the cinematographer for this film as well. And then curiously enough, since he's a do-it-all wonder kind, he edits under the name Mary Ann Bernard, which I I, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> We're not going to go into well, it. But. His mother was Mary Ann, and they had a Bernard, a St. Bernard that they called Beethoven. Wait, no, that's different. <laughs> Never mind. Also, Julia Roberts, just to sneak in here, did win for Aaron Brockovich. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, you know, uh, the thing I love about Steven Soderbergh is that he is an actor's director, but he's also a film director as well. He has over 49 directing credits. Um, I'll leave it to you guys to to check out his filmography, but every single one of his films, even things like Schizopolis or Full Frontal, some of the comedies that don't necessarily work, they are always worth a look when Soderbergh is directing. He also was the mastermind behind series like the Girlfriend Experience, he was the EP on that, which is fantastic if you haven't seen it. It's not just about hookers. It's not just about titillation. Those seasons were actually pretty fantastic. Um, the series Now Apocalypse, which was on Stars, that was LGBTQ-themed. Mosaic, starring um, Sharon Stone, that was on HBO. Fantastic. Godless, which was on um, uh Netflix. He was an EP on that. He directed all the episodes for Mosaic. And of course, The Nick, which he helped to executive produce and direct. Um, the Nick is fantastic if you all haven't seen it. Clive Owens plays a, a doctor in, in like in British colonial times. It's fantastic. And then just so you know, he's also been an EP on documentaries and other dramas, such as Citizen Four, the documentary about Edward Snowden. Um, and then he's also uh He's also done TV series like Unscripted as well as an EP. So there you go. Steven Soderbergh, fantastic. Love this guy. Ooh. 
All right. Well, in front of the camera, returning in the titular role of Magic Mike, or as I have him dubbed here, Magic Mike Lane, which sounds even better somehow. I, I've kind of missed that, uh, is Channing Tatum. Uh, he rose to fame uh, cinematically with Step Up, and he was also in Step Up 2. Uh, other films that he has been most notable for are 21 and 22 Jump Street, Foxcatcher, the G.I. Joe films, Hey Wire, which he did with Soderbergh, Side Effects. Uh, he voiced Superman in the Lego movie, and I believe also the Lego Batman movie. Jupiter Ascending, so he worked with the Wachowskis. He did work with Tarantino in The Hateful Eight, briefly, but he was still there. Uh, he worked <laughs> with the Coens for Hail Caesar. He popped up in Logan Lucky, was in Kingsman the Golden Circle, and then was in Troy's favorite film of 2021, The Lost City. Or, sorry, 2022, The Lost City. Uh, <laughs> with Sandra Bullock. I love it. Sandra that. Bullock, uh, <laughs> who we had better chemistry with. We'll get to that later. Uh, so, yes. Salma Hayek Penalt, I keep forgetting we, uh, she has the Penalt to her name now, is Maxandra Mendoza. Uh, she rose to fame with films such as Fra- Friday. <laughs> she was in Friday. She was, she like, was in Friday? Wow. She Did was, I uh, miss her? She was actually uh, Chris Tucker. We all thought it was Chris Tucker. Was Salma Hayek. <laughs> she was... Uh, Damn. <laughs> more like Frida, Desperado, From Dusk Till Dawn, Dogma, Wild Wild West, uh, Spy Kids 3, Time Code, Savages. She was in the Grown Ups films to show her age there, Sausage Party, and recently in Eternals, House of Gucci, and in Puss in Boots 2, playing her ex-husband, or I guess still technically husband, uh, Roger Radigan is Alan Cox. Uh, this starts where a lot of the rest of our supporting cast are mostly known for with this film being set in London from British, a lot of them series and some films for Alan Cox. He is familiar. He was in young Sherlock Holmes, uh, as well as an awfully big adventure, Mrs. Dalloway and the dictator. Then we have playing the Butler, uh, Victor, Ayub Khandin. He has been mainly just series work. Uh, as an actor, he is most known for his work in series such as London Bridge, Coronation Street, and The Chief. But he is actually a BAFTA award-winning uh, writer, I believe, for East is East, West is West, and the series Ackley Bridge. Uh, playing Edna... Eagle Bauer, that's almost as good of a name as Broadlick, <laughs> is Vicky Pepperdine. She has popped up in films such as My Cousin Rachel, Johnny English Strikes Again, and then a bunch of British series such as the Getting On series, A Young Doctor's Notebook, and other stories. Together, The Windsors, Bad Education, and she her first role was in I'm Alan Partridge, which is a series that I do love. Uh, yeah. We have Suzanne Bertish as Renata. She has been in films such as Benediction, The Wife, The Thirteenth Warrior, The Hunger. I know you're a big fan of that one. The Upside yep. of Anger. And then for series, she has popped up on Shine on Harvey Moon, Rome, Mercy Street, Atlantic Crossing, Sex Education, and Mr. Bean. And then as Hannah, we have Juliet Motamed, who is a rising actress her only really big notable spot right now is we are lady parts i wasn't going to include her but i don't know i kind of liked her she did stand out to me so i yeah. decided to include her and i will at least mention that playing the daughter zadie radigan is jamelia george this is her first role so curious to see where she goes from here uh and then there are a couple of other like character actors and then you had mentioned some of the dancers but those are more the focal points a lot of this film is based around tatum and hayek and i'd also say the scene stealing ayub khan as victor the butler yeah so, 
as well as the daughter. I think she's, uh, yeah, she's good. We'll get to that. I thought the daughter was pretty good. Yeah, I didn't like her narrate. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, yeah. Jose, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on Magic Mike's last dance? It last <laughs> dance tonight. <laughs> oh my God! Bingo! 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 Cross off that square. Justin singing. Um. All right. So, uh, Lord, where do I start with this movie? Because. I think the rumor was it was supposed to go straight to HBO Max, but I don't know. If we have if we have now segued into a time where if a director is going to think differently for streaming than they are for theatrical, I don't know, maybe we're doomed. I'm not sure. But needless to say, this film is inescapably dumb. <laughs> very, very dumb. And... uh. I I got to tell you, I honestly don't know what I was expecting. I mean, I had seen the first movie. I loved the first movie. I thought as kind of a slice of life with its little raunchy sort of like uh, subject matter, the male strippers, all of that. It was actually filmed incredibly well. There's some great performances in it. McConaughey, um, Alex Pettifer, Tatum himself, etc. Magic Mike XXL was just kind of like, I don't know. It was, it was lame. It was like the, like, an amusement park ride or whatever, like one of those amusement park musicals. Um, but I didn't really know what to expect with this, but I don't also didn't expect it to be so cringeworthy too. And I was really, I mean, for the first 50 minutes of this, I was like, man, this is a Steven Soderbergh. What happened? Right. Um, and I will say that there are some spots where, there is just electricity, right? I mean, I'm going to say that the the final show was actually pretty fun to watch and really, really well done. And there's really great dancing, but everything leading up to that is such a slog, terrible dialogue. I don't buy the chemistry between them. Um, all of the characters are flawed. I mean, he, you know, her husband, is supposedly this rich person and she's trying to get back at him by producing this show. So she takes on Tatum who she also cheats with. And then Tatum is, you know, after the pandemic, he's apparently uh, fallen on hard times. He's a bartender now. So he's sort of flawed too. Um, but yeah, some of the dialogue here and even some of the, the mad, the quote unquote magic Mike stuff of the lap dances and then the, you know, getting on the floor and like gyrating and twerking, um, I just didn't find it sexy and I found it very, very cringeworthy, almost to the point where my two immediate thoughts leaving the film were one, Magic Mike's expiration date has come and gone. Um, it needs to be put to bed. You know, with everything else out there, Chippendales, you know, the Thunder Down Under, all those other troops or whatever, like the time for this kind of thing has come and gone. And then two, I was like, Jesus Christ, Steven Soderbergh remade Staying Alive because it's <laughs> that it's that dumb. It's that stupid. And I I'm a little disappointed in Soderbergh, but there are also Soderbergh touches here that are so Soderbergh that I almost got into the proceedings. And so when I say that, what I mean is that you know, in a lot of his films, there are supporting characters that just kind of come out of nowhere 
and they really make the movie, right? So for example, Logan Lucky, Daniel Craig, you know, just bursts onto the scene and he like injects that film with, you know, 800% energy. Um, I can think of other, I can't think of other uh, Soderbergh films there, but the butler, the interaction between the daughter and Channing Tatum, like those scenes were so smartly written and sly and clever. I wanted to see more about those characters. I could care less about Salma Hayek and Channing Tatum, you know? And so, you know, there were these flashes of a better movie in there or better threads of a film in there. And honestly, whenever people are dancing, the film gets a much needed jolt of energy. Um, and we'll discuss the first the first scene because I thought um, I have thoughts about that first scene and how they all tied it up. Um, but in a way, you can also see the Soderbergh touches because he's trying to make this loftier than what it really is, which is a rich girl and her boy toy trying to get back at him by doing putting on a stripper show. But there's a the daughter's narration, and then there's talk about dance as a metaphor and what does all of that mean and really what i took from all of that is that you never know where inspiration is going to come from and it can really lead to impactful connection with an audience and even as an artist performing um but i don't think general audiences are going to see that and i think that it's just going to wear out its welcome until that last show which was pretty fantastic so i hate to say this but i think there's about an hour and five minutes of movie here. And if you cut everything else out that kind of sucked, which is pretty much a lot, um, I, I really think there's only an hour's worth of material here. And it probably should have gone straight to HBO Max because I feel like I would have been robbed paying the full ticket for this. So, uh, yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, so, this needs to go away. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, it definitely did reek of this needed to be on HBO Max. I agree with that. I will say on paper, I actually think there's some cleverness to this. Like the actual structuring behind this is kind of un not unique, but it, we talked last week about Skinnamarink being a hoodwink. Well, this is a hoodwink, but it's purposefully a, a hoodwink. The whole crux, as you mentioned, is them putting on this play to get back at her you know, husband. And the play, uh, the name is slipping my mind. It's it's fictional, but it's about it's it's a very outdated, misogynistic tale of female empowerment. And the whole crux is that it needs to become more modern. And but Salma Hayek is going to hoodwink everyone. You're going to come in. We're going to start it off as if it's going to you know be this play, and then boom, it's actually going to be about male strippers and all that. And it's and I noticed after a while because the first hour or so I was like you, know, I was really surprised this was Soderbergh and was really just kind of turned off what was going on. I'm like, okay, so this movie is this what they're doing with the play. This is a hoodwink. You think you're getting the traditional Magic Mike kind of a movie or even a Save the Rec Center type, but instead you're getting what is supposed to be kind of a social commentary on both you know women's liberation, but also a little bit of a liberation for Magic Mike. The issue is that is very clever structurally, but not in execution. This drama... In order for this to work, the drama needs to work, and it needs to be very insightful. We need to have chemistry between our leads, which we really didn't. And somebody had mentioned to me, I didn't know this, that originally Thandi Newton was cast in the Hayek role, but she dropped out. Yes. Uh, well, there's apparently there's a story behind that. It wasn't that she dropped out. The Well, 
the rumor is, is she unfortunately was going through a very personal situation uh, and may or may not have took it out on the cast and, and whatever. Yeah. And so she, she might have been excused, but anyway, I don't want to get sued, yeah. but <laughs> so yeah, well, regardless, uh, maybe he would have had better chemistry with her. I don't actually think he would as much as I like Channing Tatum. It, it he, it's very hard for he has a very specific set of people I think he can have chemistry with. Sandra Bullock, he's pulled it off with. I did not think those two would have chemistry in Lost City, but they did. But him and Hayek just do not work together at all. I, I think nope. the issue here is also like they're supposed to be polar opposites, but they're really not. Like I think that's supposed to be the clever thing where they both have the same frustrations. But I didn't care listening to those two argue. I, I thought it was annoying, and not only annoying, but very basic. A lot of the drama in this is very basic of, oh, you know, I want to get back at my ex, uh, but I also don't know what I want. She's the queen of the first act. Magic Mike also doesn't really know what he wants. He's, you know, kind of aloft. And I almost wonder if some of the more downtrodden uh, tone of this, because there's not really much energy to it, is supposed to be, since they make mention of coming out of the pandemic, how we're all supposed to be feeling. But... it just none of it really connects. I, I never cared about this this play. The diegetic score because it's not much of a score here. It's a lot of more just uh, natural sounds. Kind of threw me off for a bit. I, I will say I think the reason it exists is to make the dance sequences and specifically that last big show pop more and it does. But I will also say there's a falter with that, and I'm going to save it for the spoiler section. But. Yeah, I just didn't care. And like I to your credit, I did like some of the supporting characters. I liked Victor as the butler. I kind of thought he was interesting, even though his character is still just very generic. The butler that, you know, acts rude, but really if he's rude to you, he likes you, or maybe he doesn't, and then he's just yeah. friend. it's very generic stuff. He gets generic comedy, but he makes it work. And I did like the daughter. I didn't like her narration. Not so much she wasn't bad narrating. I just thought the narration itself was I, I really don't I hate narration for the most part anyway it just seems so lazy and here it it was supposed to to your point like oh it's supposed to represent inspiration in that but it was too on the nose and it just distra- detracted from everything Ugh, I hated the narration it was too highfalutin it's too highfalutin <laughs> or not falutin enough uh and yeah this is just a very slow movie I remember when I was leaving there wasn't many people that went to this to the screening that I went to on a Thursday night. Uh, there were a couple of girls, maybe mid twenties, maybe. And the one was just like, well, that guy just sucked. And like the other one was okay. And she, she wow. was just so slow and like, and like, I can't disagree with her. Like, and I didn't really bring up many of the dancers because they didn't have much to do outside of dance. And that's as I was driving home, what clicked for me is Magic Mike by himself is not an interesting character. He is the centerpiece to other characters. Uh, the reason the first film was so great was because it's actually, in a degree, is almost kind of a hoodwink because it's more of a slice of life drama, like you said, than it is this let's go have fun, watch male strippers. The sequel, XXL, is what I think a lot of people expected the first one to be. And I actually like the sequel as that road trip yeah. movie. It, it's not as. <laughs> polished but it's still fun i'm surprised you don't i legit thought you would have had a lot of fun with magic mike xxl but it's an amusement park ride yeah and that's I, not I just a, that's not a problem you can have amusement park rides and you can have <laughs> you know i i think as an amusement park ride it was a fun movie you know you don't always have to be highfalutin hose <laughs> hold on a second half the movies you like are roller coaster rides mr morbius <laughs> yeah i know or even like you know blair witch but but well you know, blair i don't witch, know yes, you would but. 
So you would think this kind of quote unquote roller coaster ride with um, hot men would be my thing, but yeah. I don't know. I think I want more for my movie than just I can't. Well, it, it maybe at this point, and maybe it was also because you had the first one, and then it, that sequel was a regression to sorts. But I had fun with that sequel, um, all things considered, and it still had a little bit of the drama, even if it didn't quite connect. Uh, mainly, actually, I think the only thing I remember from the sequel connecting was Kevin Nash actually had a pretty nice uh, about yeah. face in that. Uh, but, but yeah, we don't have them. I mean, we have Salma Hayek, who's not a good center. We don't have these characters that he can work off of and be more introspective with. Anytime we get that, they're fleeting moments. And it's just, it's such a slog of a film. It takes forever to get where it needs to go. It's so surprising that this is Soderbergh because the drama is just so basic. It's, there's a part of me that does like some of the structuring and some of the production values and it does eventually kind of get fun but every time that i'm thinking well this is kind of clever i'm like but it's really not because in order for this to be clever the actual script and everything else needs to be clever. you can't just have a clever structure to it and i don't know yeah. if maybe i can't imagine this would have been a mini series that like you said i mean there's like an hour here really and this thing stretched out the toe i know that i also unintentionally read when i was looking up the cast that there's not going to be any more magic mike movies but there's supposed to be spin-offs of like some other characters but i don't oh please god no please, but i don't jesus no think that would work because one uh, it works as an ensemble and if we're going off of this, not like the other characters from the other movies, what other characters in this? I mean, yeah, I kind of like Victor the Butler and the daughter and that, but they don't. There's nothing here to to expand upon, and the dancers don't get any personalities. They dance. That's it. Like honestly, I I, I kind of like that because I guess that's supposed to be like the hoodwinking with well, this is an actual female liberation because even though we're putting on a show with all these male strippers, the only character that has. Uh, a personality is uh, Hannah Juliet Matamed, and I liked her in this, but I just nothing about this clicked. It's just it was a slog. I thought this was a very rare big misfire from Soderbergh. And if you would have told me this was the same director from the second one coming back, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense because he didn't really do the best with the drama. To be honest with you, in Magic Mike XXL, and that's the biggest issue here is the drama. Yeah, I, uh, I was just holding my head in my hands being like, Oh, Steven. Oh, Steven. But you know what? The thing is, is though, if you take away all that's like horrible about this film, it is 110% all Soderbergh, mm -hmm. like the cinematography, the way that things are captured. I mean, even though he shot on red, which not my favorite camera. Um, yeah. You only like Justin the red. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh -huh. Um, but uh, no, he shot on red. But hell, he makes it. He makes he makes red look good. Thank God. Um, there's some there's some directors who can't make red work. Uh, I um, with the motion blur, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, inescapably a, dumb. Yeah, there's is, a lot of really to go to your point with the cinematography. There's a lot of like close up shots that are very Soderbergh, like especially when they're at the dinner uh, with all of the elite from the family and kind of yeah. back and forth. I liked that scene. I thought that was the only time I thought that their chemistry kind of worked. But again, it's because you had other people around them that brought that out. Like it's, it's not so much their chemistry, but I think it's their individualism as characters that was kind of working, but I just, I don't know. Yeah. There's no there there, but yeah. man, that, 
That last show, I'll tell you. Yeah, was, when we get to the spoiler section, that last good. show almost redeemed this for me until I remember. Almost. almost until I remembered, well, one, that's, you know, <laughs> the rest of the movie leading up to it wasn't really all that good. So I can't just, right. just because it ends rather well. And I still have uh, one big pressing issue with that show and we'll get there. Got it. Um, okay, so uh, spoiler-free verdict for me, Steven Soderbergh's staying alive. Oh, I'm sorry. Magic Mike's Last Dance. <laughs> it's it's a hard skip, man. Uh, it is cringeworthy, even though there are there are some great dance sequences and energy with that, the final staging of the show. Ugh, it's awful. Also, I will say this. In my theater screening, there were three other people. There was an old lady who was drinking her um, water noisily and eating her candy with the little wrapper or whatever. And then there were two other people in the front row. And I remember um, when Channing Tatum uh, says, why did, why doesn't Victor just quit or whatever? And the, and the little girl goes, same reason you don't socioeconomic inequality. I howled with laughter <laughs> and all three of those people gave me dirty looks. They were like, this isn't just your movie. You know, they gave me that kind of like look or whatever, but I was like, okay, three people simmer down. This is not yeah, a great movie. You should be happy that I'm getting any kind of enjoyment out of this. <laughs> yeah. you know? And then yes, that moment made me chuckle as well as did you referring to this as Soderbergh staying alive because Somebody commented on my post about this who has not seen any of the Magic Mike films. He goes, I haven't seen these, but judging by the trailer, this seems like Soderbergh staying alive. So you're not alone. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're pretty much right. This is Soderbergh staying alive. It is a, a skip for me, unfortunately. Uh, I like the other two films for different reasons. The first is far and away a better film than this one, but also of two. Uh, I just, I can kind of see what he was going for, I think. But I, it did not work, and I can't believe the drama aspect of this was Soderbergh. That's just baffling to me. Yeah, I'm shocked. I mean, he didn't write it, but I'm just, oh, may the next one be much better. Yeah, fingers um, crossed. Yes. Okay, so if you have not seen Magic Mike's Last Dance, you're going to want to turn us off because we're going to spoil the she's out of this in three, two, one. All right. Let's not talk about that. Not enough dong. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut I you know, off. I know. Not. We are three There wasn't movies. even any ass. No anus wrappers. <sighs> Nobody got an anus wrapper out. No globes. Nothing. Three movies into this and I haven't seen one Magic Mike dong. I want right. to see some dong. I know. <sighs> I mean, we missed the opportunity with Big Dick Richie. And although there was a really clever staging shot in that in the first movie or whatever, but yeah, there's it's only shirtless men. There's like no male nudity. This not, almost felt like a PG thirteen. Yeah, not that a, not that a weenus, a, a spare weenus or a hot anus wrapper was going to change this, but at least give us something. But yeah. let's talk about that first scene because, you know, obviously Salma Hayek's character, Salma Hayek Pinal's character is unhappy. She's going through this divorce. She's at a fundraiser where people don't even know what the fuck they're giving money for, right? And then she meets the she meets him as the bartender and she says, oh, well, you know, Kim recognized you as a dancer. I want you to give me a dance or whatever. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't think we're supposed to feel turned on by that first scene. Because for, for me, I felt sad for the two of them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, I did too. Like, and I, yeah. I want to say I think that was the point, but I will I, also say the two of them actually ending up together and having the happy ending 
kind of defeated that point because I thought the yeah. whole crux of this drama was that these are two people that shouldn't be together and they're going to realize Correct. that they're just two broken people coming together in this moment and then they just have a happy ending. I'm like, wait, what? Like, th- yeah, that, I know. I can't I, I was, believe So that. I was just about to say, I don't believe that they would have ended up together. Um, I when when Tatum when she says I'm broke and Tatum walks away, I was like. Well, there's a fucking great ending. And then he comes back and kisses her. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So my thought process was that was like, you know, you had that scene when he was talking to his friends. So we did get quick cameos from Kevin Nash and the like via a Zoom call. But, you know, he has that guilt of taking their money, even though like, hey, your friend, it's okay. So I had actually thought when he was broke, like I thought that was him blaming himself. Like I'm the reason you're broke because I put the yeah. show on, but then it was just that. So I'm like, Oh, I'm not even getting that where it's, which is probably good because then you would have had a whole nother fucking act just to handle that. So in a mercy way, I'm kind of glad we didn't get it, but I was just like, Oh, he's running away because he's blaming himself. And this is good because then they're going to come. But no, we don't get that. He just, it was a gag, which admit got me, but it was a gag. Cause he just came back and kissed her anyway. And I'm like, Oh fucking Christ. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the way that that whole first dance is shot, like, it's all darkly lit and it just, I mean, it's not erotic. It was very cringeworthy. And then two, like, like I said, I, I don't think you were, I think you were supposed to feel sad for both of them, right? He's taking $6,000 to rub up on this woman and she is getting rubbed up on. And it's like the hottest thing she's felt in like five years. Like that's, that's sad, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But then at the end of the movie, when they're doing this show, and then he's got his final number and he, you know, the, the film is editing back to those like quiet moments between the two of them. And even that first dance, I was like, wait, what are they doing? Like they're changing the meaning of that first meeting. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was them like coming around or something or I don't know. Yeah, but- I think I think we thought it was going to be not going to say deeper, but more introspective and it just happened to be a yeah it probably was supposed to be sad but it was just supposed to be sad because they're eventually going to fall in love and i'm like that's not no it's it just doesn't work and again you need to have chemistry i these two did not work together even in the uh i'm sure your screening got it too where they introduced the movie and they're trying to be playful they didn't have chemistry then as human beings i know like they just they felt like they two polar opposites and it's just I don't know if Andy Newton would have been better. Maybe Sandra Bullock would have been better, actually. Yeah, maybe. Uh, because, the, you know, but uh, it's, I could the not. Only scene, the only scene where they showed that they had chemistry was when they were Latin dancing on the stage together. Mm-hmm. That was the only time I felt any kind of passion between the two of them. Otherwise, I was like, she's awful. Why would you mm-hmm. want to be with her? Yeah. Like, she's terrible. Exactly. Um, and it, it, uh, you know, how about my- oh, I did like I did like that. Um, suddenly the film turns into this weird like Ocean's Eleven thing where they're trying to convince the uh, <laughs> the board member to like approve the program so that they can do the changes to the theater and put the show on, and they do this great fantasy type sequence of like dancing on the bus and like the, charming the her and seducing yeah, her or I whatever. Like 
I dug that. I, I, I was like, that. why can't the rest of the movie be like that? And I like the fact that she came back too, because I'm like, oh, okay, she's going to be this generic, you know, curmudgeon. But then like they win her over and then like she comes back when it's turned out like the they can't do the play because the stage is like a uh, inch and a half too big or something. And she seems right. generally heartbroken. It's like, you angels. And I'm just like, I liked her actually. Like, what? Yeah. I kind of like. Also, also complete missed opportunity because the next scene is she runs into like the husband's office and then she's like, how dare you do this to me or whatever. I thought there was going to be a joke about how like you're going to shut down my show over the size of your dick. Cause you know what she's saying? Like <laughs> yes. it was like a inch and a half. Yeah. Anyway, missed, missed opportunity. opportunity. But, missed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they brought her back for the show. Let's talk about that last show though. Yes. Like, so just the way it's shot and the dancing, because you know, earlier we had seen all of the choreography, but then when you see it again, it's shot in a different way that makes everything so lively um, but man, that dance between the ballerina and Channing Tatum. Oh, so good. I thought it was pretty fantastic. Other than the fact that Channing Tatum, please, Jesus, when you are dancing, point your toes. The ballerina <laughs> did it. You did not. And you ruined it for me. But anyway, that that whole sequence with the water and the throwing the head around and, and sliding that was on. Sexy. Oh, that was really cool. And it made me kind of think a little bit of flash dance since you brought that up earlier, too. But yeah, yeah. Very sec- that was with the chemistry he needed with Hayek. And as like that was supposed to be representative of their relationship because you had some of the flashbacks, which were the um, right. But. I was like, no, he just has it with this unnamed ballerina. Why wasn't she the love interest this whole time? Like, that's the chemistry I wanted. Um, yeah. So I did have a lot of fun with this this show. One issue I had, and it's somewhat of a begrudging one, because considering I didn't like everything building up to this, it doesn't really matter. But my theory being, like, we're being hoodwinked. Well, we're not really being hoodwinked at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, you're not giving us the full stripper show, but you're still giving us the show that people came to pay to see anyway. So, yes, you have some clever like feminism thrown in there. But in that regard, it also detracts from what the structure is going to be. And then this one is a minor thing, but I, I really only bring it up because of the diegetic score. I thought every scene, like all of the actual showcases popped, and I think they did because we didn't have a traditional score going up to it. But as we're getting into the show, and I'm like, okay, we're just getting the full show. They just do a quick montage. And I don't know why. I, I think if this would have just been a traditionally scored film, I wouldn't even noticed or cared. But the fact that mm. the montage was just a regular song put over clips, not like it just it almost killed the act for me just because like, well now it's not feeling natural and that's in contrast to doing this diegetic score. Cause now you're just playing a song. I don't, it was a weird thing, but it really took me out of it for a split second, but they brought me back obviously with the, the Tatum thing. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, unfortunately not even getting any male ass and, the one thing I thought was funny was I was sitting there when they were starting this show and I'm like, why is the daughter here? Like I get why because yes. of this, but I'm like, she should not be at this show. And then they make the thing where the butler has to take her out because magic Mike told him, Hey, we around these acts. But then I'm also watching I'm like, yes, obviously the, the water dance sequence, she should not have been there for, but I'm like, but nothing in those other acts that she was told to sit out was that much more risque than the opening of them taking off their shirts. So I'm like, that was just such a, we need to have this character there because she's narrating that. But I'm like, it was so awkward, even though I did get a kick out of it going back to the butler and she's trying to convince him to come back in and he's just kind of being like, no. I, yeah. I thought those two had very cute chemistry together. I liked seeing them to the point where 
Grant, I say this, I probably wouldn't actually want to, but I'm thinking of all those 80s and 90s comedies where you have the rich kid and the butlers. Like, I kind of just wanted to see a movie about this rich kid and that butler after a while. But yes, yeah. I did love... I mean, those those touches were wonderful. Like, him interacting with the with the daughter and then the the butler interacting with the daughter and then obviously, you know, the butler maybe is in love with Salma Hayek and, Mm -hmm. you know, knows her shenanigans or whatever. That's the more interesting fucking story. And, uh, you know, those little moments plus the dancing and the, the fantasy bus sequence almost made it enjoyable. But, but again, like, I mean, we're 25 minutes into the movie and I lean over to Scooter and I'm like, this is so dumb. Like, what are we watching? It's so boring too. I just, you know, and as fun as that, like last sequence is, it's, it almost exists on an island. Yes, they built up to it, but it still somewhat feels like a contrast to everything else we've seen. Uh, and and the other issue is outside of what you get with Mike, what made the first film and is something that's lacking in the second one. But the first film so good was when you see these sequences, you already have the character drama behind it. So it adds an extra layer. We don't get extra layers. It's just a stage show a very fun stage show probably made even more entertaining by everything else leading up to it being so boring but it's just it's so awkward structurally when, when you think about it uh, what i find really and i one other thing i did find out and again wasn't you know, i tried to do like you try to avoid for the most part but this one i did stumble upon on top of this originally being going to HBO Max, the reason it apparently went theatrical was, I guess, good test screenings, which I did. What? What? Uh, but I, I also wonder, like, with the test screening, do you think maybe Hayek and Tatum weren't supposed to end up together, but then the test screening would have been like, well, we don't like untraditional because radically different films, but I remember This Means War, the iffy comedy with Reese Witherspoon. Uh, was it Chris Pine and Tom Hardy, I think it was? And Tom Hardy, yep. Uh, and I remember the whole time I'm watching this movie, and I was not alone because other people had thought this. So I'm like, none of the, neither of these guys should end up with Reese Witherspoon. They should end up together. They love each other. Like the whole yeah. thing is they want each other. I want you, but in a woman. No, you don't. You just want each other. Apparently, that was the actual ending to the movie where they come out of the fire, and it's a spoiler alert, I guess, for this means war. Uh, and they're holding hands, but uh, test audience didn't like it. And from my understanding, I don't think it was the homophobia. I think it was just, well, Reese Witherspoon doesn't get somebody. So they just did the about face. Do you think maybe that was it too? Maybe they had a better ending here where even if it wasn't him walking away, they came to the realization that, hey, we shouldn't be together. You know, this is like a romantic comedy where you're like, oh, the two polar opposites come together. I'm like, oh, yeah, until like two weeks later after this movie's done, they break up because they are not going to work together. There was, I can't remember the name of the podcast podcast but a good friend of the show uh james he used to host a podcast where they reviewed like romantic comedies and stuff like that and that was their crux on a lot of the reason most of those didn't work was like you have a movie like the ugly truth with you know gerard butler and katherine heigl and like there's no way these two would last as a couple no chance in hell the more interesting movie is watching the breakup after like that's the sequel you come back and it's like a month or two later oh yeah expectedly they didn't work out who knew So it's funny. I mentioned staying alive, but the beginning of the film reminded me of like pretty woman. And I thought back about pretty woman's original ending, which was they didn't get together and they meet like months after this little tete-a-tete that they have this wonderful time that they have together. She's still a hooker. He's still alone and stuck in his work. And that's how it ended. And 
I would have preferred that as an ending here because it just doesn't make sense that she, after fighting all of this time, would then be like, you know what, I'm done. I know the prenup's not going to get me any money, so I'm broke. Let's just be together. He probably was like, I want my 60K. I'm going back to the U.S. Yeah, exactly. Like, but it just, <laughs> and I, was he going to stay in London? Was she going to move back? Because I don't think he would have been comfortable in London. He didn't seem to fit. Right. And that's, it. it's, again, a I'm kind of thankful they didn't mind some of the stereotypical, you know, fish out of water too heavy. But at the same time, it's very weird to present this, you know, culture clash drama. But then he just there's never really any issues with him directing. It's fine. There's even when you bring in the people that, you know, were upset about, you know, the changes to the show, as fun as that sequence was with uh, Eagle Bauer it gets wrapped up way too quickly. Like they introduce yeah. threads and they're like, ah, forget it. We're just going to close the book on it. And they're like, then why right. introduce it? Why not be completely different instead of, uh, you know, is this supposed to almost be a send up of these types of sequels and movies? And if so, it's still falling flat. And if it's supposed to be, cause I mean, I guess magic Mike is supposed to be semi autobiographical about Channing Tatum, you know, used to being you know stripper and that, is this also semi-autobiographical about how he eventually gets into more traditional dance because of the Step Up films? Because that's where his talents transitioned. But I felt that fell flat. I I was grasping at yeah. straws after a while just to find a point to this. Because yeah. you take away and that I, final act, this is nothing. You know, I hate to say when they announced this when they announced this in the trades, i.e., deadline. Um, I was kind of like, who asked for this? Right? I mean, I have to... Well, I, I mean, was like, the, it's the, time had come. Like, true. I don't... The first two films were success, but to your point, that second one, while still breaking even, was not as successful as the first film. And I still thought, hey, this might still have a successful run, but, I mean, I situational here, but my Thursday night screening was dead. Uh, yeah. I know you went at, like... At, early ma- or late matinee but still your friday showing was seemingly dead maybe yeah. i think the time has come and gone and maybe that maybe that's why soderbergh did this maybe he's just like i'm just gonna kill this thing i'm gonna make <laughs> the most banal movie and then they're not gonna want any more magic mike because i'm gonna kill it yes you know what people watch go watch either kimmy no sudden move or um let them all talk those are much better soderbergh films and they are better written, better acted, and and ugh, this is ugh, I don't know. I may have to stay away from any film that that Reed Carolyn, the one who wrote this, I may have to stay away from any film that he or Channing are associated with. Oh. Because well, here's my here's my other with issue. On like a writing stance, because I mean, I'm sure he- anywhere if, if if they're a writer, a producer, acting. Direct, I, I, uh, the yeah. only reason I bring that up is because, I mean, you like The Lost City, so, you know, you can enjoy so, Tatum, but maybe just so here's only if he's higher talent is what I'm getting at. Do you think you'd be fine with that? Uh, maybe, maybe. Okay. So here's the, here's my thing about Channing Tatum. Um, Sadly, and again, I this is like Harry from Death by DVD. Like, I don't I don't ever want to be in the position to say. You're a shit actor, okay? Um, and I'm certainly not going there with Channing Tatum because he has his strengths, right? So when I f- when Channing Tatum first broke onto my radar, it was his bit parts in A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints with Shia LaBeouf and um, Stop Loss. And there was an intensity 
and a drama to those supporting roles. And they were brief. They were very, very brief that I was like, wow, maybe this guy's got something. But the more that I saw his films, I, I, he's never going to be an Al Pacino. He's never going to be a Meryl Streep. And they keep typecasting him as the pretty dumb lunk that surprises us by not being dumb. Right. Mm -hmm. And that gets old. That gets old. It didn't work for his romance stuff, like the vow or, or whatever those other dumb movies were. It works better when it's a comedy and he's, he's being silly and he's being sexy and silly at the same time. Like, Unfortunately, I think he has a range, and that's mm -hmm. that might be the only range he's really good for. Mm -hmm. um, sort of like speaking less and looking sexy. And and again, I really hate to say that, but I just I'm not the biggest Channing Tatum fan. I don't mind him. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan. I am certainly coming around to him as a comedic actor between like there's 21 and 22 Jump Streets. Liked him in Lost City. I think that's yeah. I love him in Lost City. Get to come from that. Yeah, he's not going to be Pacino Street. Not every actor is going to be. I don't think that's a problem. Actually, I think if every actor was going to be that, we'd have a bigger problem. You need to have a wide swath of ranges to make everything work. But to your credit, just like any kind of actor gets, he's being typecast and it's it's kind of get the, the act is getting tired. Um, yeah. I mean, I did like him in Foxcatcher, but I mean, he wasn't, he was still being outacted by a lot of other people, which somewhat purposeful because of his, you know, character in that film. Um, right. But yeah, I think especially this role, and honestly, I think he needs to stick with comedy now because I think this, the like you said, the dumb lunk that surprises people in a dramatic sense is just tired. And it's also tired in the third movie of a franchise when we've seen yeah. that two times now to, you know, because he had his business in the last one, which they kind of really don't even bring up in this movie. I mean, they mentioned that COVID hit and that, but like if you didn't, it almost feels like that second movie didn't happen. Like, so we're like, ah, we're just counting the first one, which wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> but like there's no real through lines with that second one uh, coming in. Uh, at yeah. All. Other than that zoom meeting where he's like, I owe you guys money and I'm really mm -hmm. sorry for dipping out. And they're like, we love you. And then boom, Boomer starts trying to do his star Trek. Like I'm like, like what yeah. are we watching? The yeah, are we that, watching? But, but you know what though? That scene, even with that star chart, which was a little bit cringy, and maybe again, maybe it is supposed to be sober, just kind of like I'm gonna take everything that was bad about these movies, I'm gonna make it worse, so we don't have to do these again. Instead of you know actually <laughs> uh, polishing them, but but that kind of stuff would work if you had Mike to bounce off of it and all the other characters. You just get that fleeting moment. Yeah, I don't know. It's that's. I think that was the biggest takeaway, not with just Magic Mike, but with Shannon Tatum as well. He is an actor that fits better with an ensemble or with somebody else that can really yeah. bring something out of him. That way he can, um, you know what? I know we already had our wrestling bingo because of Kevin Nash and I made like right. IRS references, but I'm going to make another one here. Paul Heyman was a promoter. He's a manager right now in WWE, but he was a promoter for ECW in the 90s, Extreme Championship Wrestling. And one of his greatest strengths and things that people complimented was he was able to take wrestlers and accentuate their positives and hide their weaknesses. The Sandman was one of their biggest stars. He wasn't honestly that good of a wrestler. He wasn't that good technically, but he had a great look to him and a personality, this beer-swilling badass. He had a great entrance. So he found ways to highlight all of this. Uh, if you were a Mikey Weprick, I'm going to make you the underdog and you're going to be the small guy. He knew and understood how to do that. And I feel with Tatum... He's at his best when you have directors that realize that. I'm like, all right, we're going to you know, accentuate your strengths, your, your screen presence, uh, your sense of humor, and we're 
going to hide some of the limitations in your acting, your drama, because um, he always kind of seems, and I, I think maybe he's trying to do it for his character, but he does seem a little lost sometimes when he's needs to handle the heavy dramatics. And even if it fits his character, it's still, there's there's a smoothness to that to make it work. And he doesn't have that smoothness. And at this point, he shouldn't feel as rough around the edges in certain areas. He should be more refined. He's been doing this for God, almost what two decades now. Yeah. Cause what? Yeah. Yeah. He's getting there. Cause step up, which I don't even think was his first, but step up was like 2004, 2006, something like that. I think so. Filmed in my hometown, by the way. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, it, it shouldn't, he should be better off where he's at. And it's not where he's at now is bad. Um, I'm happy where he's at. It's just maybe not giving these roles. And I feel like Soderbergh kind of let him hang out to dry. And maybe some of that was, again, who knows? Maybe obviously Newton didn't have a, was having problems on set, but maybe they would have had chemistry. And then all these problems, we might've still had some pressing, but it would have been like, yeah, it's kind of dumb, but it makes it work. But when you don't have that chemistry, I mean, that's the other thing with Salma Hayek. I like her, but she is another person who has limited range. And this was yeah. one where yeah. her weaknesses were shown because she didn't have somebody that she had chemistry with. And uh, I mean, that scene in the car when they're arguing and she's just like, she misinterprets something that he did and she's yelling at him. Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. And he goes, no, it's not. You know, that. It didn't come off as genuine. It came off as too theatrical of what she expects an upset person to act like. And it just. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's first of all, that scene was super cringy because then it was like, oh, I'm not drunk. You think I'm crazy. Right. (laughs) I'm not even drunk. You think I'm you think I'm a woman crazy. And so uh, I was just like, wow. But, you know, her character it's that need to like control things and be in charge and feel like she isn't beholden to a man and stuff like that. But, but yeah, no, none of that came out in that scene. And it was just, it was terrible. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the impersonation um, was pr- pretty, pretty damn good. I, oh, I love, folks, I, love I will, I will allow you cause favorite. I didn't do any impersonations. And I don't think I'm going to this week. Uh, you can place the Justin impersonation bingo slot. You can count Jose's because he was so good. that I think it transcends <laughs> and you get that spot this week. But just to piggyback off what I said in the spoiler free, you know, Soderbergh's stamp is all over this. Like if, like, like I said, that beginning, everything's darkly lit. You know what I mean? And it's it's meant to be dark. It's meant to be sad, right? Also, I think there was a flub because at one point they're gyrating on like a little coffee table that wasn't there before, and then it disappears in the next shot. So I, I don't know. That's and how then, good he is at gyrating. He oh, yeah. he gyrated that thing into the ground, into non-existence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He he. Uh, his vibrations moved it off to the side. But then like after they've, you know, closed escrow and, you know, had sex after this or whatever, the camera tilts, like it starts Mm -hmm. to like tilt. Right. And it's kind of like, I'm thinking to myself, Oh wow. That really changed their world. And sure enough it did because then she starts talking about come to London with me and this and that. So when I say that Soderbergh really is a, a, a filmmaker, a cinematic artist, like that's, what I love mm-hmm. about Steven and, and, and just the way he shot the last, the last show and like all of those camera angles, the, the Italian dancer, when he was doing that rehearsal and just, Oh my God, that, that sequence where he's dancing and Salma's sitting in the chair, just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It reminded me of, um, Sergei Polin in, in that, uh, in that, uh, 
music video that where he's just dancing in that like uh, ramshackle like dance studio or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it's such a dis- it's such a disappointment that Soderbergh would direct such a shitty script. Yeah, it's, you know, it, you know, like you said, it he is both a filmmaker's filmmaker into all of the strengths there, but he is an actor's filmmaker, and in this case, that actor filmmaker stayed home because he did not bring out the best in most of this cast, unfortunately. Yeah, part of me thinks that this maybe is like you know, remember how Rennie Harlan was like. Sure, I'll do Die Hard 2, but you have to let me do Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Maybe this is like a step to some other yeah. amazing Soderbergh film that's going to come out, but probably. But like, uh, I, I don't know. I love, I love the man. I mean, Haywire is still something I repeat visit because oh, it's, it's just so such a good, so fun, great film. It's fantastic. Even with you know the problematic lead, I still watch it because it's it's amazing. Soderbergh's mm-hmm. amazing. Soderbergh got a great performance out of uh, what is it? Owen Wilson in the Limey. Who's done that before? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, yeah, but you know what? The Wes Anderson, Owen Wilson stuff that's still playing up Owen Wilson. So yeah, you got a point. (laughs) Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, Magic Mike, your dance card is up, yo. The last dance uh, is more like (laughs) Freddy's Dead. Just a, a whimper of an ending because I did not think we would get a Freddy's Dead reference, but the fact that there's that through line here, as you mentioned earlier in the casting uh, with the crew. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's a whimper. It's a big skip for me. I just, very disappointed. Very disappointing. Actually, you know what? Owen Wilson was not in the limey. That is my mistake. Were you thinking um, of the, um, it wasn't Soderbergh, but the, was it the Minus Man? I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard that was a really. It. Cheryl Crow was I've in heard that a really, too. he's great You're in right. that is what I've heard. I own it. I am, I'm mixing the it. two up. I am absolutely mixing the two up. The um, Limey yeah. Man. The Limey Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So final verdicts on Magic Mike's Last Dance. Yeah. Justin. Skip. Yeah. It's a, for me, it's a hard, it's a hard skip. Wait, wait for HBO max. And if you want a better post pandemic or pandemic thriller, watch Kimmy, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Have I you seen be, that yet? I have not, but on a, to go to use, uh, if you do watch this on HBO max, I mean, uh, granted, watch it any way you want, but you can just skip to the final act. You just skip to the show, the, the very fun show they put on. Everything else isn't really. So I hate, I hate to say this, but I can see myself buying this. And just watching the last show. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I would be curious if Soderbergh does like commentaries on that and like maybe some of the thoughts that I had was what he was going for. Or maybe I can gauge from his interviews and that like sometimes you can tell if like they just did it for the money, even if they're, you know, not saying that. Like you can tell from the tone of their voice. So I want to see yeah. if his tone of voice is just like, oh yeah, this was a really fun film to make, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, he's so dreamy too. Oh, I love him. <laughs> did you see Unsane, the film that No, so, so, so I Soderbergh still was it. also so Soderbergh was also sort of ribbed in some fashion because he was like, hey, I shot a movie on an iPhone or whatever. And it was sort of like, oh, look at this high concept director shot a movie on an iPhone. Hey, we've all been shooting movies on iPhones after that. So Soderbergh's yeah. quite uh, that's, the That's one you've trendsetter. brought up to me before, and I do own it on Blu-ray. Uh, been meaning to watch it, just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, he's a... Uh, God, I love that guy. Uh, okay, so... If you have feelings about Magic Mike's Last Dance, uh, 
or even Channing Tatum. If I am wrong about Channing Tatum, email me or email us, contact us, prove us wrong. Give us a great Channing Tatum uh, movie I, review. And I know rethink it. Large William of the GGTMC was at one point a pretty big Tatum boy. So if you're listening, Big Willie, uh, let me know if you, you're still a big fan or if you just kind of think he's tapered off. Yeah. Is he Tatum or is he just tater tots? <laughs> anyway, uh, you can you can reach us or email us at watchskipplus, spell out all the words at gmail.com. You can also go to our home site at Anchor FM, anchor.fm backslash watch hyphen skip. There is a message me button. Although in our day and age, you can also record an audio clip and just email it to us and we can play that on the air and answer any questions you have. If you are listening to us, whatever your uh, podcast weapon of choice platform is, please make sure to follow us. Leave us a five-star review or even if it's not a five-star review, let us know what we can improve on or what you'd like to see maybe added or changed from our format. Um, if you like us, you are definitely going to love Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Not a Bomb Podcast with Troy and Brad, as well as VHS Files, Married with Clickers, Silva and Gold, Death by DVD, who are frequent guests. Uh, Justin, am I missing any other ones? <laughs> uh, feminine Critique is the only one coming to mind right now. And Backlook Cinema as well. Yes, uh, Alonzo over at the Backlook Cinema, who, uh, by the way, I think we're we're due up for another guest appearance. Oh, uh, we are. So we very much reach are. Reach out to us, please. And Justin. Well, listen, we hope that this was not the last day for you <laughs> and that you continue to listen and that you remember that you are the plus. Go ahead, sing it. Sing it. Uh, it's the last, last dance. dance. It's the last <laughs> dance tonight. Tonight. <laughs> Boom. <laughs>